Good morning, everybody. If you guys have your Bible, you can take it and open it up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, that's where we're going to be for our sermon text today. Um, glad you guys came out today. These are Days like this are some of my favorite days. Um, you can see we have the baptism tub set up earlier that Micah said he almost dropped the microphone in, so that was cool. Didn't know about that. Um, but... Uh, these days are my favorite because we get to baptize people today. Pretty awesome. We have people, we have people baptizing every service today, you guys. How cool is that? That's amazing. What a blessing. Um, so I'm glad to be here with you this morning. I, uh, I love the fall. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that it's fall. Anybody else uh, fans of fall? All right. Some of you are mad that it's not summer anymore. Nothing you can do about it. You're stuck, okay? Like, yes, got to learn to deal with it. Um, fall is my favorite season of the year. I love fall for uh, many reasons, not just the cooler temperatures, but a little bit about the football, too. Of course, I'm always into that. Um, But one thing that I love about the fall is that it's bonfire season, and you can set up little bonfires, you know, have a little fire pit with your family. I love, of course, the s'mores and the hot dogs play a nice little part in that. But there's there's just something satisfying about watching things burn, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yes, I have problems. Um, I need help. Um, no, there's really, I love, I love bonfires. There's something nice about just kind of sitting around a fire together where, you know, people are more, I don't know, there seems to be a sense of openness. People listen well. There's something great about being around the warmth of a fire. But here's one thing about the fire. Have you ever noticed how quickly a log stops burning when you take it away from the fire? You take a log out of the fire, you just set it by itself, like, I mean, very quickly, it loses its heat, right? It doesn't happen immediately, but it does happen eventually. The heat goes out when the log is alone. So, church family, sometimes our fire for, for God burns out pretty quickly when we try to do the Christian life alone. When we try to live the Christian life separate from the church, away from the body of Christ, our fire for the Lord can so quickly go out. It doesn't happen immediately but it will happen eventually. Today I want to talk to you about the importance of the body of Christ, about being in fellowship with the church. Um, This is week five of a sermon series that we're calling Why We're Here. And in this sermon series, we are really remembering the purpose of our existence, um, not just individually as people, but also collectively as a church. And we've been saying this in every week of our sermon series, that we exist for God, right? Like, we are here for a God-centered reason. That until you know God, until you really have God in your life, you're always going to feel like you're missing something in your life because you are. And, you know, you need to know that God has made you for His glory, for His purpose. And until you have God in your life, you really will have a sense of longing and unfulfillment in your heart. But once you do know God, then you know your existence is here for God. You live to glorify Him. We've tried to take a little slogan here that we're starting to say quite a bit, and we're saying, hey, look, why do we exist? We exist to know Him and to make Him known. To know Him and to make Him known. That's why we're here. So the question for us as a church and as individuals is how? How are we going to pursue knowing God? How are we going to pursue making Him known? That's what this 10-week sermon series is all about. We're spending five weeks on knowing God, how we can know Him, and then we're sending, spending five more weeks on making Him known. So like we watched the video at the beginning of this service and like Phil talked about, I'm ex- I can't tell you how excited I am for the sermon series that's going to start next Sunday. I think it's going to be incredibly 
valuable um, in setting the trajectory of ministry for our church for the next season of life as we come together to focus on making him known in this world. So I hope that you'll make every effort to be here every Sunday in the month of October. It's going to be important for us. But today, we're wrapping up our focus on knowing God. How do we want to know him? We've, we've been through several ways that we want to pursue knowing him. But today, I want to talk about knowing him relationally. Relationally. Now, what do I mean by that? When I say knowing God relationally, well, that's where we're going to start today in Ephesians 4. As we look at Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 14 or 15, really we're going to walk through this answering three questions. The three questions are these. What do we mean when we talk about knowing him relationally? What does that mean? The second one is why is it important? And the third one is how can we pursue it? How can we pursue it? So that's our outline for today. I hope that you leave here today with this very simple, straightforward um, belief in your heart. And that is this. To be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ, you must know him relationally. That's the main idea. To be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ, you must know him relationally. Now let's get into Ephesians 4 a little bit and talk about that. When we look at Ephesians 4, we always need to remember the context that leads up to the text that we read. So when we read the book of Ephesians... If you've never read the Bible before, or if you just may, may not know this, the book of Ephesians is called Ephesians because it was written to a group of Christians who lived in a city called Ephesus. Um, it was written to them by the Apostle Paul shortly after the, the time of Jesus being on the earth. And when Paul wrote this letter, here's what's going on culturally in the world at that time. There was a great divide between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Gentiles are any, any people group that's not a Jew. So there was a great divide between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews kind of thought of themselves as this kind of elite spiritual group that were God's special people, kind of better than the rest. And the Gentiles were looked down upon as kind of being spiritual outsiders. But guys, when Jesus came, he changed all of that. Jesus removed the barrier of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles, and he made one body out of, out of two different groups, out of all the, these different groups, he brought them all together. So chapters 1 through 3 really emphasize the fact that Jesus has called us to salvation when he saves us by grace through faith. We are made one in Christ, and so there's this emphasis on unity that leads up to chapter 4 um, that we're going to be looking at today. So unity in the body of Christ is marked by these loving relationships that the church is supposed to have with one another. So knowing him per relationally, what does it mean? Let's answer that question. When I say knowing God relationally, here's what I mean, just to give it a definition. It means growing in your personal relationship with God by living in loving relationships with other believers. Growing in your personal relationship with God by living in loving fellowship with other believers. Paul writes this way at the beginning of chapter 4, starting in verse 1. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So it's important to notice that Paul says that you are to walk worthy and you have been called. The propensity is for us as American Christians in this century in which we live, we read as Westerners who like put our own individual name wherever we see the word you. So we would 
kind of think about this, like, um, hey, uh, we have been urged, like Paul urges you, Jason Wing, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you, Jason Wing, have been called. But it's important for us to remember that when Paul uses the word you here, he's talking about you being all of the Ephesian church, you the church, you the group. The word you is plural. Um, it might more accurately be translated um, as the word y'all, right, in, in our Bibles. Um, or if you were in my Sunday school class when I was growing up, youans, right? That's what my uh, Sunday school teacher used to always say, youans. Um, but here, you know, we need to understand that Paul is talking to a group. It's why he goes on to say that we should bear with one another. So the phrase one another that's listed right here, um, again, it just shows that the Apostle Paul is saying, look, this is a letter that's written to a group. You guys are doing life together. You're in relationship with one another. Paul assumes that these believers have relationships with each other. So these one another commands throughout Scripture, they're, they're here in, in Ephesians 4, but they're all through the New Testament. You can't read the New Testament without seeing that there are commands to live out the one another life of God and his family with the church. So we'll just, you know, we read one here in Ephesians 4.3, but drop down a few verses to Ephesians 4.32. The scripture says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Right? So if we're going to be compassionate to one another, that means we've got to be in relationship with one another who need compassion. If we're going to forgive one another, what does that mean? That means we have to be close enough in relationship with people that, you know what, maybe they could offend us or maybe we could offend them. So forgiveness needs to happen. What, what's the assumption? The assumption is that the church is living life relationally with one another. 1 Peter 4.9 says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as you are doing. What's the assumption there? The assumption is you know people and you see things that are going on in their life and you can give them encouraging words and you can build them up because you're talking to them and, and you have words to speak with them. Galatians 6.2 says bear one another's burdens and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Bearing one another's burdens. If you read the book of, of uh, Galatians, what that means is that when somebody is dealing with sin and the consequences of sin, that you come alongside them and you help them walk through that trouble. You help them walk toward Jesus and figure it out. And in that way, you are, bearing, you are fulfilling the law of Christ, which is the law of love. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. If you're going to get to a point where you can confess sins to other people and pray for other people, that means that you have to have a pretty strong relationship established with those people, right? That you, you're willing and vulnerable enough to open up in front of them. So those are just a handful of examples of the one another commands of the New Testament. There are loads of others of these all through the, the scriptures, but the New Testament assumes that Christians will be living in loving relationships with each other. So when we talk about knowing God relationally, that's what I mean. Living life in the fellowship of other believers. Now why is that important? Why is that important? I think if I asked everybody in our church, if I asked you today, hey, are relationships important? I think everybody would say, yes, of course, relationships with other people are important. But there's something unique about relationships with people in the church, relationships with people in the body of Christ, 
that are uniquely important. I want to go a little deeper today and seeing like why is it so important that we live in relationship with other believers? Okay, we're going to talk about this. Three reasons why it's important to know God relationally through fellowship with other believers. Number one, it expresses our unity in Christ. It expresses our unity in Christ. Again, in our text in Ephesians 4, in verse 1 and 2, Paul calls the church to live in loving relationships with each other. But then in verse 3, he says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So Paul says this, there's this unity of the Spirit, and you should be eager to maintain that. He goes on to say in verses 4 through 6, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope, That belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You can see how the Apostle Paul is emphasizing oneness, right? What does he, he uses the word one, one body, one Lord, one spirit, one hope, one faith, one baptism, one God. He keeps mentioning this oneness in the body of Christ. If you just drop down to verse 13, you can see that the Apostle Paul talks about attaining to the unity of the church. In verse 15, he talks about the whole body being joined and held together. And so as believers, we are to be devoted to this spirit-produced, unified fellowship of the church. The theological term that we use to describe this is called koinonia. Koinonia. Some of you guys have heard the word koinonia before. Some people have never heard that word. Most people who've been around church for a long time, you've definitely heard the word fellowship, right? Fellowship. The word fellowship um, is, in the Greek language, it's the word koinonia. But um, there, there's, when we think of fellowship hall, it's very likely that you probably think of, did I just say when we think of the word fellowship hall? I did. When we think of fellowship, we normally think of fellowship halls, right? Like we, there's a, this place in the church where people come together and they eat, right? I can't tell you how many, I grew up in a church with a fellowship hall. I can't tell you how many like quarter cut tuna fish sandwiches I ate in the fellowship hall of my church, right? That's, that's what we think about. But koinonia fellowship has something to do with much more than just coming together for an event or kind of hanging out for a little while. Koinonia fellowship has to do with the oneness of the body of Christ that Jesus produced when he forgave us of our sins and brought us into his family. Right? So when we talk about fellowship, we're not just talking about hanging out. We're talking about living out the oneness, the unity that Christ has given us in his church. And, and the truth is, you can come and put a whole lot of food in your belly in a fellowship hall, all the while having a whole lot of division in your heart, right? Koinonia goes so much more than just hanging out at events. It comes to do with living out your union with Christ as the church. I think most Christians want unity in the church. If I was to ask anybody in here who's been a believer, hey, should we value unity? Everybody values unity. The thing is, I think the church often goes around, goes along like trying to attain unity in the wrong way. And here's what I mean. Yesterday, my family and I, we got to go to the Ohio State football game. They were playing Akron. It was a true blowout. And if you know me, you know uh, that I had to plug my nose walking into that stadium because I still love Michigan, okay? And going there, let's just say, I was outnumbered in my family, five to one. Everybody wanted to go. So I was a good, godly, loving husband. And uh, 
sacrifice my desires for my wife. But here's the thing about I went to that game, and it was great. I had a great time. Um, one of the things that I loved most about the OSU game was the marching band. So I didn't know, like, how good these marching bands were. And to see them do the script Ohio thing, and there were, like, it was alumni weekend, so they had, like, 400 people in the band, like, out, out on the field together. It was just crazy. Um, it was amazing to me. Um, when you watch them kind of march and walk in unity together that way, it blows your mind. Well, how does a marching band or an orchestra or anything like that, how do they work together in unity? Do they all just sit around and be like, let's be unified. Let's value unity, right? That's not what they do. What do they do to be unified? They get their eyes and their ears fixed on the conductor. And they march according to his orders and his rhythm and his tempo. And here's the reason why I'm pointing that out, guys. The church will never attain unity simply by calling for unity. Everybody's calling for it right now. Unify, unify. The church will never attain unity simply by calling for unity. The church will naturally unify when it gets our eyes and our hearts fixed on Jesus. The conductor of the church. The head of the church. The one who gives us our marching orders. The one who tells us the rhythm by which we are to operate our lives. So listen. When you're saved, you are saved by Jesus, brought into his family, koinonia fellowship with the saints. Our job isn't to create unity. Our job isn't to make unity possible. Jesus already made it. The, the thing we are to do is to maintain it. We are to live it out. So when it comes to church life, the question isn't, are you going to be part of the church and make it united? The question is, are you going to live in the fellowship of the church that Christ already united? That's what you have to decide. Are you going to live out your koinonia fellowship with the saints? That's deeper than just, I'm going to show up at an event. I'm going to hang out for a little while. It's, am I going to live out the koinonia, oneness of Christ that he's purchased? That's one reason why it's important for us to live in fellowship with other believers, knowing God relationally. Here's another reason why it's important. It's because it values our diversity in Christ. Right? Knowing God relationally, in fellowship with other believers, yes, it, it uh, shows our, our uh, unity in Christ, but it also values our diversity in Christ. Paul writes in chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 7, if you still have your Bible open, just look at it with me. Verse 7 says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Right? Paul is saying right here that each one of us, if you're a Christian, you've been given a gift by Jesus, a spiritual gift. And that gift is something that you don't choose. You don't get to pick from your kind of smorgasbord of, of spiritual gifts. Like, I'll take that one and that one. No, you're given a gift by Jesus according to the measure that he has determined. So we're all gifted, but we're not all gifted the same. And that's important for us to understand. In the body of Christ, there's going to be diversity. That's why the Apostle Paul writes a little bit later, just a few verses down, verses 11 and 12. He describes some of the gifts that Christ has given to the church. Verse 11, he says that Christ gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So Paul is saying that God gifts the church with leaders, and those leaders are gifted to equip the church for the works of ministry, which makes a, a very important point that everybody in this room needs to understand. If you're a Christian, you need to get this. Who are the ministers of the church? It, who's the minister 
of University Baptist Church, right? Is it the pastor? Is it the staff? You know who the ministers of UBC are? The members of the body of Christ. If you're a Christian, you're a minister. Look at it with me. Verse 12. The, the leader's role is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So who does the ministry? The members. Are you guys with me on this? Your job is to be in ministry. Your job is to, and how do you live out your ministry? By using the gifts that Christ has given you to use. What's the role of the pastor? The pastor is to teach the church, equip the church, train the church, so that everybody in the church is ready to use their gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. Um, anybody ever had a good sports coach in your life? Right? Ever have, so when I was in high school, I had uh, a coach. I played soccer, and one of my coaches' names was Mr. Hobolf, which is a really hard name to say, so we just called him Hobie. Right? So uh, if, you, if you made the soccer team, you got to be called a son of Hobie, and which, <laughs> which is kind of cultish if you think about it. But we, uh, he was a great coach, and he taught us to use our gifts and to play together as a team. We were a very small school. I had like 40 people in my graduating class, so we didn't have the greatest talent. In our, we, we weren't the most learned in soccer, that's for sure. But we ended up making it pretty far. We made it to the regional state championship game that year. Why was that? Part of that was because we had a really good coach. He, we learned the game. We learned how to work hard together. He challenged us. He put us in positions where we could each use our gifts. You guys who are left-footed, you're playing on the left side of the field so you can cross the ball. You guys who are in good shape, you're going to play in the middle of the field because you've got to run up and down on you know, defense. You, tall guy, you're in the goalie. You've got long arms. Okay, he just challenged us and then put us in the right places so that the team could function well. Guys, that's what church leaders are to do. We are to develop, teach, challenge, inspire, and then mobilize the church for ministry. So everybody needs to know this. As we move forward as a church, who are the, who's going to do the ministry? If you're a part of UBC, you are. The body of Christ are the ministers. We need the members of the body of Christ to use their gifts in the ministry of the church. Not all of our gifts are going to be the same. You're going to be gifted differently than I am, and I'm going to be gifted differently than you are. But all the gifts will be used. And in that way, we will value diversity in the body of Christ. That's part of why knowing God in relationship with other believers gifted differently than you is important. Last thing. It's important to know God relationally in the church because, why? Because it grows us to maturity in Christ. It grows us to maturity in Christ. You want to become mature as a Christian? You've got to be in relationship with other believers. You can only reach a certain level of maturity when you're just doing the Christian life alone. Lone Ranger, solo Christian, you're only going to become so mature. Listen to what Paul says in verse 13. Paul says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no, no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Paul is saying that there's this end goal of the church, that as the church unifies and lives out its koinonia, as it comes to know God and know Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that it's going to grow into mature manhood. We're going to have full stature, becoming more and more like Jesus. 
Paul says, you know, that you know, we would grow into this unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. That word knowledge is so important. In the original Greek language, um, it, it mean, it's the word uh, epignosis. And epignosis means to have full knowledge or true knowledge or complete knowledge, right, right and accurate knowledge to the full extent. In other words, Paul is saying that part of maturity as a church means we come to actually know who Jesus is, right? We don't just have thoughts about who we think he is or personal opinions, but we come to know him rightly. And so part of the ministry in the church is for us to help each other know Jesus rightly, which means we could definitely know him wrongly. We could know him wrongly. Plenty of people would love to get you to know and believe wrongly about Jesus Christ. If we're not maturing in our understanding, then we're going to be susceptible like little children to just kind of believe in anybody. Isn't that the way it is with little children? They're susceptible, they're teachable, they're impressionable, they're easily persuaded, they're quickly deceived. Or as Paul says right here in verse 14, that they're tossed to and fro and carried away by every wind and doctrine. That's a mark of immaturity as a Christian, being carried away by every wind and wave of doctrine. Um, I love fishing. I love fishing with my sons. This is a simple fact about fishing. There's a huge difference between a bobber and an anchor. What's up with a bobber? A bobber, you put a bobber out in the water, what does it do? It literally just goes wherever the winds and the waves blow it. But you put a big weight on the end of that thing, you drop an anchor off a boat, what's going to happen? It gets locked in, it's stable, it's steady, the wind and the waves come, but they don't blow it everywhere. Guys, that's what it's like for you when you get locked into the real knowledge of Jesus Christ, the truth of who he is, the fullness of his knowledge. When you pursue knowing Jesus for who he really is, and you come to right doctrinal understanding and belief about Christ, you start to get anchored in your faith. You start to get locked in. Some of us need to stop being bobbers. We need to start being anchors when it comes to Christians. When it comes to believers in the church, we've just kind of been bobbing around. Whatever book seems interesting, whoever has an opinion about Jesus, we just kind of accept it. Listen, we know Christ through the teaching of God's word. It's where we find out who Jesus is. And when you commit yourself to the church, here's what happens. You come around other believers who help you actually know Jesus better. It's why we train our little kids. They need to know Jesus better. They need to know the truth of who he is. It's why we have discipleship relationships. You start to know Christ through his word. You know him better. You know him more and more. We don't want to all be infants forever. There's nothing wrong with being an infant. Love babies. We had families in our church this week that gave birth to newborns. Some of you have newborns back in the kids' ministry right now. It's awesome that they're there. Make sure you give your kids' ministry workers a hug on your way out. But it would be pretty weird if we had, like, grown men checking into the nursery with their little diapers and binkies. You know what I'm saying? It would be strange. It would be very inappropriate. All of us would be like, something's wrong there. Guys, the truth is, some of you in this room have probably been saved for decades, but you've never really grown in your understanding of the truth. You are like, and you are like, you know, a man checking himself into the into the nursery. There's nothing wrong with being an infant until you've been around long enough to be an adult. And in that case, you've got to decide, I'm going to grow. It's time to grow up. It's time to mature. And the Apostle Paul is saying, you know what? Growing in maturity is something that we do together as a church. When you're in relationships with other believers, it helps you grow. 
Don't be tossed around by every wind and wave of doctrine. What does he say in the very next verse, verse 15? Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So how, part of how you grow is having people speak the truth in love to you. I mean, I remember over 20 years ago now, but I had started to serve in student ministry as a volunteer in our church, and there were things about my life where they were just still not right with God, and, you know, I was living in such a way where I was out of line. And I had to have, you know, the leader of that ministry took me out to lunch, and he sat me down, and he said to me, you know what, I'm meeting with you today because I'm taking you out of this ministry for a while. Your lifestyle is such a way that it's impacting children and families, and you need, if you're going to lead these kids, your lifestyle needs to be exemplary. And that hurt for a minute, you know. He reiterated, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be sinless, but you need to be pursuing growth and godliness. And he challenged me, and he gave me a break from ministry and eventually brought me back into ministry. But that made an impact on me. Here's the thing. It was hard to hear in the moment, but I look back now, and I'm incredibly glad someone challenged me toward holiness. You ever had anybody do that for you? It's hard. It's hard, but it's worth it. I remember when I first started preaching as a, teaching as a youth pastor. Some men in our church approached me at one point, and they were like, hey, when you taught this to the kids here, did you, did you mean to say it this way? And we started talking things out, and they really challenged me to say, like, I think, they said, Jason, I think you have uh, kind of a short-sightedness in your theology in this area. And that was hard for me to hear when I was teaching students. But the more I looked into God's word, the more I was like, these guys are right. I'm wrong. I need to conform to what the Bible teaches. So those things are hard to hear, but they help you grow to know the truth of Christ more and more. Guys, we need to learn truth from others. We need others to learn truth from us. We need to be speaking the truth of Christ into each other's lives. This is how we grow in maturity in Christ. It's why it's so important for you to not try and do the Christian life alone. You must be in relationship with other believers. It's knowing God relationally. So why is it important to know God relationally? Number one, because it expresses our unity in Christ. Number two, it values our diversity in Christ. Number three, it grows us in maturity in Christ. Well, how can we pursue it? That's the last question for today. How can we pursue it? I want to talk about this from an individual standpoint and then a collective church standpoint. Individually, how can you pursue knowing God through the fellowship of the church? My charge to you, my call for you, my request from you is very simple. Make a commitment to connect and serve in this church. Make a commitment to connect and serve in this church. Guys, um, when people join our church as members, we ask them to really commit to four basic things. To worshiping to connecting, to serving, and to giving in our church. But if you're gonna, if you join this church and you sense God calling you to be part of this, like, we're asking you to be sincere in your desire to connect with other believers. How are you gonna live out the one another commands of Scripture when you're just kind of doing life on your own? You can't. How are you going to serve the body of Christ? Um, you know, how are you gonna use your spiritual gifts unless you're serving in the body of Christ? You've got to join a ministry where you can use your spiritual gifts and start to serve. Guys, I am, I want to be clear, I am uh, 
I'm not asking you just to do your duty and check a box and fill a ministry slot once a month. I'm asking you to use your gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. How are you using your gifts? How are you serving? I'm asking you to live out your koinonia in fellowship with other believers. How are you living that out? You can't unless you're connected to the body of Christ. So if you're a member of the body of Christ, you are to be ministering. So how are you going to be involved? Collectively as a church, then what are we to do? If we're going to call people to connect and serve, then what do we do? We provide the opportunities for people to collect and to connect and serve. So as we move forward as a church, you're going to be hearing us emphasize a ton about the importance of being uh, in groups, pursuing discipleship through groups. Some of you will join a growth group. Some of you will join women's Bible fellowship. Some will join men's morning. Some will be in some other sort of discipleship group. But groups are going to be emphasized big time as we move forward. Guys, groups are how a growing church still continues to maintain intimacy. Groups are how a a bigger church still remains kind of feeling small and personal. Um, This is how uh, we've got to live this out. So you're going to see us emphasize groups, and you're going to see us emphasize ministry teams. And if you're a part of our church, we're going to be asking every one of you, fulfill your ministry, be a minister, join a ministry team. Whether it's you kids or student ministry or welcome team or finance team or safety team or any of our ministry teams, you know, we, there's so many of them that I can't even mention them all here. I would just encourage you, if you know, this is my church, I need to be serving. If you know the Lord's putting that on your heart, here's what I need you to do. Just go to our website, click on the button that says next steps, and you'll see another little button that pops up that says serve. And that's where you can read all of our ministries and how you can be involved and use your giftedness to start serving. Hope you'll follow the Lord's lead. Make a difference in the lives of others. Make an impact for the sake of the gospel. To be a wholehearted disciple of Jesus Christ, you must know him relationally. You must know him relationally. Guys, when you take a step towards connecting with other believers, I know some of you right now are like, I I don't have to twist your arm. You know the Lord's already putting it on your heart. I need to get in relationship with other believers. I need to start serving. When you do that, you'll have times where it's hard. You'll have times when it's challenging. But it'll always be worth it. And you will always know I'm living out the life that God has called me to live. Koinonia fellowship, ministry among the saints. You'll know you're living it out. Some of you are still reluctant, potentially, to be in real relationships with other believers. My call for you is to remember, the heat goes out when the log is alone. It may not happen immediately, but it will happen eventually. So, church family, let's be connected as we come to know Christ together relationally.